133 Poisonwood Avenue would be stronger if it was a killer house. There is an estate at 35 Silver Street that annihilated a family back in the 1800s, and its roof has never sprung a leak since. In 2007, it still had the power to trap a bickering couple in an endless hedge maze that was physically only 300 square feet. 35 Silver Street is a show-off. And lightning recap. Quick as lightning. In Open House on Haunted Hill, John Wiswell writes about a house that does its best to get the tenants it wants. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. It is the short story, the short podcast. I myself, me, am Christopher. Jay Garcia here today with Christy Baxter. And I would like to point out to our listeners the difference between us. And I'm not sure if they've noticed this. This is a, this is a big difference between us because I have the regret to say that I'm, I am not a Hugo nominated fanzine editor. Whereas, and again, our listeners might not realize this. Chris is a Hugo nominated fanzine editor that's awful reductivist i'm way more than a hugo nominated fanzine editor i'm also oddly enough a painter uh i was the one who turned cats and dogs against each other uh (laughs) i invented sorrow uh, did you actually let the dogs out chris did you let the dogs out hoot 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 uh i want to say also that i'm also the least whelming person anyone has ever met um Hey, Christy. Yes. (laughs) You know, as I've been hunting for jobs, I've been looking for secret messages encoded in short stories placed on websites around the world. Uh, Which short story placed on a website around the world did I look for a job in today? Uh, You looked for a job in Open House on Haunted Hill by John Hiswell, which is the very end of our Hugo nominated short story run. Oh, I might cry. <laughs> We're sitting to get off to school. <laughs> um, here's my thing about this story. It is a story that I love in a genre that I love of the, the real concrete physical things be anthropomorphized, which they hate, uh, and given sort of attributes of high strangeness. And there is a story by uh, China Mieville that about the streets and how the streets and the map uh, will change as they start to wander around each other that this very much brought to mind. That's one of my favorite stories ever. And maybe someday we'll read it on a podcast. Uh, maybe we'll start one just to read it because it's short. <laughs> we can talk about it for a little bit. Um, but this house sounds at once highly, highly uh, bitter and at the same time, more than a little passive aggressive. Yeah, it's it's definitely a house with personality, whether that personality is necessarily one of want to be friends with, I don't know, but it does have a heart. But yeah, it is, it feels like as far as haunted houses go, that maybe it's not living up to the reputation of other of actual, you know, like haunted houses out there, They're like the haunted houses out there that the people are, you know, like 
terrified of and that children run from on Halloween and so on and so forth. And 133 Poisonwood Avenue, which is essentially our protagonist here, it just feels like, yeah, I'm not really that. That's not me. That's not, you know, I don't have that killer instinct. Instead, I just have the, uh, and it is quite passive aggressive. The house does like direct people in a way, but sometimes it's, I, I'd say passive aggressive feels a little too uncharitable because it frequently is nice. Like it helps the father realize that his daughter's having an attack of vertigo and go help her on the stairs, you know? Uh. Uh, so it's passive regressive. Uh, sure. <laughs> why not? But I think one of the one of the reasons why this has gotten so much attention is the it's a strange story. Again, I think it's an adorable story. I think it really does ride that line. It does have a lot of the elements that the uh, the one about the robots and the the chat thing and that one from earlier whose name i've already forgotten because my memory is uh, a guide to working breed for working breeds uh, have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that sort of uh idea that something that is obvious and known to us that we sort of understand has a more complex life that also touches something that's very human yeah it's you're right to make that comparison. There is that that feeling of these inanimate objects and ones that we tend to personally, like we definitely, when we're not anthropomorphizing them, we're at least personifying them. We're at least performing personification where we're like, this, this thing has a personality, you know? <laughs> like my coffee maker is a very stubborn little bitch. Uh, <laughs> Not actually, I barely use my coffee maker, but I had to come up with an example and I couldn't think of any. Oh, my TV, we, it's a smart TV, but we call it the dumb TV because it is stupid. It is stupid, Chris, the stupid TV. And so, so yeah, like we tend to like ascribe these very human things and, and feelings and attributes to inhuman things, be they houses, be they uh, robots, et cetera. And I think that's a, a, an aspect both of them share. Houses we tend to we tend to get really attached to as well. You, you know, you, if you live a, a certain in a certain place for a certain amount of time, then leaving it can be difficult. It can be sad. It can be nostalgic. And then there's also that possessiveness we feel over our territory. The idea of somebody else coming in uh, and and making themselves at home. Which in Poisonwood, on, on in one thirty three Poisonwood, is an interesting concept since there are rooms that exist but don't exist. How do you decorate that? Uh, I'm going to say Mary Kondo it, but uh, what's really <laughs> what's really fascinating though is that if you sort of uh, to quote one of my favorite contests, boom, flip it. When you get a house, you think I am buying my forever house. What you're also doing is you're occupying a space that may or may not, and in this case does, have a set of desires, a set of wishes. And uh, one through three Poisonwood definitely has a set of, uh, I guess, expectations is really a good way to put it. And it literally, I, you know what, I find this to be, this is a first date coming together story. Oh, it's a meat cute. <laughs> it is a meat cute. Um, it's a real, realty meat cute. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just one of the best lines in this entire thing is uh, 133 Poisonwood leaves the secret room open in the hopes that someone will come back. It squeezes the, flack, the cracks in its floor closed, popping the locket out without scratching it. Inside is the picture of a woman with a thick nose and proud eyes. She must have been an ex. She must have made an excellent ghost. The house would take a phantom for an inhabitant at this point. That's so, it's lonely. That's and lonely. it's making itself look as presentable as possible. And I want a secret room so badly. I know. See, we have one in our house that it's not a secret room, but it's a room where I don't go because I think that it just, the, the general aesthetic of the room is where like the, the, the furnace is. The general aesthetic of the room is a murder has been committed here or will be in the future. So I think it's my best bet not to go there. But uh, I, I guess that could be considered a secret room because I tend to frequently forget it exists. So, but, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of delightful moments here and a lot of, of very human moments, which is really, really a credit to the author considering that the protagonist is again a house. So therefore is not human. Um, I, I enjoyed this world where it sort of it sort of describes some of the things that other houses do to haunt and, and torture their residents. Although I nearly got up and walked away at the uh, the line, some houses give their residents visions of slaughters or trauma. And I was like, I don't need to know what my house is doing to mess with my head, man. It's already weird enough up there. Yeah, well, that's true. Also, I do like the fact that the house cannot cry. There is just a little air in its pipes. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's what that line of uh, a wave washed over and dropped water on his on his swarthy cheek uh, from, uh, I think that's Coolridge. Uh, you know, that idea that, you know, oh, it's not a really, I'm not really crying. It's just some air in the pipes. Yes. Yeah, so somebody's right, cutting sir. onions in here, stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not crying. You're crying. I'm not crying. You're crying. That's the whole why house you're is all... crying. Wait, <laughs> they can't cry. It's just some air in the pipes. Um, yeah. But what I love is that there are so many points in this story that I relate to because I live in a house that uh, if it is not 133 Poisonwood Road, and it's not, so don't try to look it up, um, It's it feels like that type of house, that it has that uh, that sort of not quite perfect and hiding its imperfections from the world until you're actually, you know, six months into your lease worth uh, that sort of feeling to it. And I love that I can sense this house as the house in the story, this house being I record inside. Uh, I'm not a bridge troll. Chris, you, you probably should have told me before you moved into literally my house. <laughs> um, <laughs> There were so many things that until we moved in, we didn't quite notice, like the fact that the the one of the doors from the deck opens inward to the kitchen, but the basement door is directly across from it, and that opens outward, so they meet in a big V, and neither, <laughs> unless you have one closed, the other can't open all the way, and it's just those little things that you don't notice until like, you know, oh, well, hey, let's try this door over here. We, we didn't really even, you know, there, there was a sliding glass door on the other side. So that was the one we used. So at some point we try that door and we're like, whose idea was this? This is so stupid. Yeah, I live in a house that uh, actually has a ridge under the floor. So uh, there's actually a continental divide, <laughs> uh, 
which makes it really funny for playing hungry hungry hippos um but uh i think this story connects with a lot of people because there are a lot of fun little elements that mm -hmm. you can latch on to and i think some might say it was insubstantial i disagree uh i think it has a I think it has an emotional substance to it that a lot of stories sort of gloss over by having a sort of a more heavy heaviness to them. I don't think it's weighty, but I think it is deeply felt. Yeah, I think it, it has, you're right. It has feeling. It's not, it's, it's not just gossamer and froth, you know? It's, there's, there's reality here. There is pain both from you know the house as the protagonist and the other characters and you know like the 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 man and daughter they they have their their pain i think really mrs weiss is the only one who's just kind of like i'm here for the ride or maybe for the the commission because <laughs> she's the realtor and so you know they they have pain that that pain is explored a little bit and it's really the house that helps them explore that pain a little bit and helps them also to sort of reconnect with the the loss that they have suffered and so yeah it's there it, this isn't a oh there's nothing to it story there's definitely there's definitely something here yeah no doubt there is something here and the great thing about having something here is that it is something that plays so well in the stories that we've read that it does it has both things to bounce off of and things to stand in stark contrast to and it has play friends and it is uh, golfing buddies, but also they have mortal enemies who turn out to be friends who in the end learn a little something about themselves. And you know, Christy. Yes. On our next episode, we're going to talk about all six stories. Yes, we are. A thing I've been long dreading because <laughs> I have to pick just one. And you know what? You're going to do just fine. Or you're fired. Well, see, here's the thing, and thanks. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing about this is it's more pressure because how how do you vote for the Hugos exactly, Chris? Is that how do you how, what's what's your process? Did you do you just go to a website and click a button and then click submit? Do you do you X something out and then put it in an envelope and send it away, or do you have hundreds of people listening to you? and probably disagreeing with you just for the sake of disagreeing. This isn't about me, Christy. <laughs> no, it's not, I guess. That's nice diversion, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, so that will be the big next one. You have any more about this wonderful little story? Uh, of course, there is the uh, classic moment between father and child. Daddy closes his eyes for a moment. Please just put your shirt back on. Anna immediately attacks her own pants. Closer for the week. That is my kids to a T. <laughs> I thought you would relate to that at least a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I could. Uh, I can think of many, many times that things like that have been said. Uh, and, you know, this is one of those that actually that line might be my favorite single line of any of the stories we've read so far. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't say that. I remain dressed at all times. Yeah, uh, that's what that's what no man actually ever says. People <laughs> are out of your pants the second you're in the house, whether the door is closed behind you or not. Yeah, see, I, on the other hand, I wear pajamas at all times. See, that's the way to live. I can agree with that. 
comfy clothes and murder shows hey i have that mug <laughs> <laughs> yes well then i think we should probably say something like stay tuned for christy's choice if you give a crap i don't know <laughs> christy's choice oh i saw what it's sophia loren's second best movie <laughs> <laughs> all right then this has been short story short podcast okay now he does a pause <laughs>